Hello everyone and welcome to Golden Walkman Magazine. My name is David G. Walker, the editor, and I am bringing you the themed issue for July 2020. This issue was guest edited by W. Todd Kaneko, um, and his theme was Ancestors, Ghosts, Listen. Um, this theme was met with a wonderful response, again, like all the themed issues, has been receiving amazing uh, submissions to choose from. I honestly do not envy the uh, guest editors and whittling down these submissions and choosing uh, what to publish, but I'm always happy that they are willing to do that because these issues uh, are, are coming out uh, really reflective of what the magazine is, uh, what I want the magazine to put forth. And I don't think they, it would have happened otherwise. So, uh, I'm, you know, very grateful to all the guest editors. Uh, and, um, I'm just going to get right into the issue. I, I, I won't go over the review of what themed issues are again, because this is the seventh one of ever and this year. So if you're not sure what they are, just go to the website under themed issues and uh, read about it. So yeah, here we go. Let's get right into it. This is the themed issue for July 2020, guest edited by W. Todd Kaneko and his theme of Ancestors, Ghosts, Listen. I hope you enjoy it. Hello, my name is Jacqueline Boucher, and this poem is called I Learn About Rupkund Lake the Day I Learn About Okyokolka. For Alf Hather. I learn about Rupkund Lake the same day I learn about Okyokolka, and there are just so many words for the bones of things, so many ways we know to spread the grief around. Here's what I know. Skeleton Lake is a destination. Isotope and incisor told me so. What I can't divine is whether pilgrims named it holy before they waded to the nose, or maybe after, or maybe never at all. Meanwhile, in Iceland, a tangle of rock and funeral reds to show the world what it means to shrink. Here's what I know. From a condo in Fort Lauderdale, my mother tells me about Suther Croker, about the white house on the water and the tongue of rock that cuts into the sea. Then she tells me again, and she points to a throw pillow, her homeland rendered in a satellite photo's brown and green. She points so I might find the rock, might smell the lick of sea. Then she tells me again, she tells me again, and I smile like it's the first time she's told me, because it's the first time she's told me. My thumb crooked against the pink and faded image of my father's face on a coffee mug. What I mean to say is the collapse of holy spaces can be measured in the skip of a record. That no one is ready to lay the shroud just yet. Grief, then, is the sun-baked belly of a lizard a comfortable pickle of fish. 
Tell me, Ama, how long does it take the ocean outside your window to return to the northern shore? How many current transfers to turn these tears to ice flows that we might resurrect Okyokolka's face? Your face, my God, you've never seen such beauty, such blue. Hi, this is Dulani, and uh, this poem is called Abundance. Twisted roots stretched out towards each other. Parvati, my mother's mother, Jod Sindhi. Her daughter, refugee camp Punjabi. Matrilineal, severed bark. I spoke English to my mother's Hindi. Not everything makes it upstream. We're from pre-partition Pakistan, blood-dripped alliteration, we background each other casual. My second-generation despair, a pile of scattered lumber. Recently, I queried, Ma, how will I learn Sindhi? Light this other perceiving. Her moss-covered smile chiseled into blue sky, the internet. Her chuckle, a lush fern valley, green, feathering over green. A sparrow reeled out the bushes past me. I inhale the dirt, the solitudes, the give. My name is Kimberly Pavlosky. This is a poem in three parts. Genealogy with mushrooms. One. Pecan and not pine, she remembers. The voices of branches darken in the wind, clamorous, because the sun chose to shatter itself over them. And this violence, they are alive to, as they are alive to the blackness of earth in their bodies, to burns and needles shed fresh onto the floor. When the frilled lamellae of mushrooms exhale a golden lonely, she knows it's summer and she won't climb down. High in the branches, she is ambered, dappled with sweat and sap. Two, my grandfather shot squirrels out of it cursing the bodies with blackest tar eyes. The sound was like bone break in the air, peculiarly fragile. When gathering windfall from its shadow, recall the bright snap of twig, dark glimmer of hickory limb, brittle crack of pecan. Between his teeth, an old man in a brown coat ground down by his wife's faint stammer from the kitchen, grudging, though he knew she was only trying to heal the silence that appeared as fracture between them. My grandfather held bullets under his tongue. Three. When she died, my grandmother's ghost fell out of her and went to stand underneath the pecan tree in the backyard.
the ancient creek of mill-smut, lurched through ozone and found, finally, a place to bury itself in her lungs. In the damp green shade, she waits for the wind to hurt her, to give her voice. And the soft white heads push themselves out of her tissues. They are filled with song. Poem with the Ghost of Larry Levis by Steve Muska. Brother Failure, I walked with you down knurled orchid rows, where apples hang heavy on the trees, wasting time in the beauty that is everywhere. I love melancholy too much, I suppose, the long exposure of life relived. Only now do I understand the boy playing alone in his closet with his toys. The hours are his to dispose, and no one will look for him there. Brother Loss, I have cultivated too much love for the hand that folds. In it could be wild blackberries, birds relish when they ripen on the bush, or the kite string, the wind ripped from my daughter's tiny fist. Only now do I see I ran with pain, lancing my ribs, because I could not face her tears. I wanted to fight the sky. I found the kite broken on the far edge of the fen, a yellow bird that had for a little while become perfect in its desire to fly. Black American Lullaby by Linda Chavers, PhD. And then they came and got us from our homes, and they came and got us from the shores, and then they took us in the boats, and they took us to the land we didn't know we didn't know, and then they took us to their fields, and they took us to their homes, but they didn't take us in their homes, they only took us to their homes, there's a difference, you see, there's a difference, and they took us all the time, they took us to the ground, and they took us to the tree branch, they took us to the floors, and they took our bodies, and they took our parts, and then they took our bodies and our parts, and then we ran away, we ran far away and far, and then the ones who looked away started looking, and they helped you see they helped and the ones who looked away helped take us back you see they helped take us back but there was too much land and too many people and too much land and too many people so they fought a war and they fought and they fought and many died and many more died and this was the only time we got to blink and this was the only time we got to breathe just a little bit but only just a little and then the war was won, and then the war was lost, and then the war was not a war, but new land, and this new land we could all walk on, and then we all walked on this land because they said we could, but it was the same people who took us too, and there was confusion, you see, there was confusion, and they had to solve the problem like it was math, <laughs> like it was math, and they solved the problem, yes, they solved the problem, because they came and took us again, and they called it law, you see, they came and took us again, and they called it law, and we had no homes to be taken from anymore, so we ran, and we ran some more, and some of us made it, and some of us made it, but many of us did not, you see. Some of us made it, but many of us did not. And then the ropes came out, and then more ropes came out, and then the fire came, and then the flash came, you see. The flash came because there were pictures now, and the towns had parties, you see. They had parties, and it was just another job for us, you see, just another job. But no one told us we would die. You see, no one told us we would die. And they chased us, and they raped us, and they hurt us. You see, they hurt us so bad. And then the ropes came out, and more ropes came out, and we kept running. 
running. We kept running so far and there were marches now. Yeah, you see, there were marches now and there were schools now and there were bombs now. Yeah, there were bombs now. And then the hoses came and then the dogs came and our skin was on fire even though it was water. You see, our skin was on fire even though it was water. And then the wars came and more wars came. And they said, if you fight, you can live for free. They said, if you fight, you can live for free. So we went and we fought and we fought some more. But when we came home, they still burned us, you see. I'm trying to tell you when we came home, they still burned us. But we kept going and we kept running and we kept smiling because maybe if you smile, they won't kill you. Yeah, yeah. Maybe if you smile, they won't kill you. So we smiled and some of us sang and some of us danced and some of us studied and some of us walked and some of us sat and some of us slept and some of us woke and some of us ate and some of us starved and some of us and some of us and some of us and some of them were building prisons. You see, yeah, some of them were building prisons and some of us were taken again. Yeah, I'm telling you, some of us got taken again and the prisons went up and the bodies went down and the prisons went up and the bodies went down and then and then and then the planes in the sky came too close i'm telling you man the planes in the sky came too close and we all looked up to see the world you knew too the world knew too and then some of us came along and they didn't kill him and see one of us came along and they didn't kill him but we knew and we should have known and i'm telling you we knew and we should have known you know because it was just like the last time when the war was fought and the war was won and the war was lost and some Somebody had to pay, man. Yes, somebody had to pay. And the bombs came back and the batons came back, but they never left. And the dogs came back, but they were always there. And then, and then, and then the white babies got killed too. I'm telling you, the white babies got killed too. But that was okay because the guns matter. The guns always matter. And it was always going to get worse before it got better. You see, it was always going to get worse before it got better. And right now, this is better. But it's all okay. Yeah, I'm trying to tell you, though, it's all good because when I die, I know I'll get to see my mama again. You see, I'm telling you, when I die, I'll get to see my mama again because when they were killing him, that's what they told us. You see, when they were killing him, that's what he was telling us. That's we all get to see our mamas again. So it's all going to be okay. My name is Mia Ayumi Malhotra, and this is my poem, This House So Full of Ghosts. This house is so full of ghosts, you can hear the rustle of robes as they pass the threshold. By the door, I find a pair of abandoned house slippers, toes pointing in opposite directions, as though she doesn't know if she's coming or going. As a child, I spent hours scraping algae from the waterfall in the front yard, dredging handfuls of stringy green. No one ever asked why, as the middle grandchild, I often slipped the frame. She made a family album every year, beginning with the year she emigrated, leaving behind a mother, a ghostly shell of a nation. Here, the dead pose stiffly, black-clad and formal. Here, they gather for a picnic, in sunglasses and fashionable hats, hands held to faces, shielding eyes from sun. Some are scarcely bigger than children. They lean toward birthday cakes and blow as the living do. Some grow older and marry. Others become ghosts and disappear in a rush of white. Outside, the cherry tree brightens to infinity branches stripped of blossoms, how a room feels after someone has walked out. 
Memory is a winter pond, eleven feet deep. Koi turn slow circles below, bodies glinting like hammered gold. I reach past the flat, cold surface and almost catch her face, but like everything, it's only a reflection. This is Kelly Russell Agadon reading my poem. When you are a ghost, I'll also love your shadow. Mostly life is life, and kitchens are filled with lovers who don't put their cups in the sink. Mostly life is people who don't believe they'll be a corpse, or those who compose poetry while drunk and in love with loss. These are the ones who flourish. These are the mice in the cookies who nibble into dawn. Mostly life is a mask of contentment and a tie of jasmine reaching down into pleasure. Forgive the thunder and the man who left zucchini in your unlocked car. Forgive oysters without a pearl, and all the years we wasted being young. We are numb but trying, and when your bent body is brightened by the refrigerator light, I hear myself whisper to the dark, to the mice we cannot catch, please forgive me, and place your mug kindly into the sink. Ghost Worlds by Sharon Suzuki Martinez My hometown in Hawaii lies inside a half-collapsed crater. I lived in the ghost of a volcano, but didn't know. I heard places hold echoes of all that has occurred within them. Ghosts of your former lives still haunt your old apartments. Roads remember. Schools remember battlefields remember. Lava and the blood of 800 fallen warriors flowed through my childhood. I learned about Hawaiian history and how the islands were formed, but my head remained hollow. I could not fathom how the past is the earth's unseen molten mantle shaping the topography of the present. My new home in Arizona was once a Paleozoic seabed and a fruitful desert garden thriving with the ancestors of beings very alive today. I live in a ghost ocean now, but this time, I know. This is A.E. Hines, reading my poem, This Morning After the Riots. Like the weather of my childhood in the Deep South, Thunder crashing over our roof, rattling every window, lightning, then hail firing down like bullets, pinging up from the ground and ricocheting off the glass. Last night, people who for weeks wore masks marched to downtown Portland and set fire to the courthouse. 
They burned cars and broke windows. They hurled rocks and firecrackers at police, then looted the Louis Vuitton. All night, flashbangs, tear gas, the roar of helicopters. This morning, thunder and hail and rain. In the south, sudden storms remained mysterious, biblical. Thunder, my grandmother explained, God moving his furniture. Rain, the angels crying over some injustice done to man by other men. The sun still shining, the devil beating his wife. Another Memorial Day, another bright Monday. The sun glowering down, another white officer snuffing out another innocent black life. This is not mysterious. This is plain as the dead man's face. Be quiet, Grandma would say, at any coming storm. The Lord is doing his work. And then it would thunder. Then it would rain. We sat at her window, still as corpses, and watched his bright finger crawl the dark, trembling sky. This is Hurricane Seeds by Amit Majmadar. We died in the passage. They unshackled us and sprinkled us over patches of fertile Atlantic, watched us float off driftwood of a people shipped, wrecked. But secret currents whipped through the blood we still had in us, and we circled each other like gleeful dolphins rounding up a bait ball at mid-sea. Smoke wisps rose from our mouths and braided over, under, to weave a wave basket where our stilled pulses pooled. And we danced in a circle around this last treasure of our tribe with the ghosts of our dead grandmothers. The clouds cotton onto us and the winds, they're on our side. Let's dance a galaxy, somebody says, and our rain drummers spin us four arms of torque and roar off the coast of the Carolinas, clockwise and irreversible, like the history that snaps the neck of a continent. University town with auction block foundation stones, preacher's hat just as deep as the blacksmith's pail where the branding iron steams, we see you. The seafloor slopes up under our feet. We're coming. My name is Angela Maria Spring, and I am reading How Many of These Empires Have to Fall, the title poem for my current chapbook manuscript. How many of these empires have to fall? One. Reach past to recall the sound of the bells of Salerno. Static strikes each hour. The first day we arrive, received in wonder. Second morning, irksome. The third, resigned acceptance as we climb an ever-ascendant incline to stone steps, accompanied by a dozen gongs ebb into St. Matthew's Cathedral, where we are surprised by Pope Gregory VII's eerie marbled repose. He ordered the first crusade, now rest exalted above Matthew the Apostle's relics, dented rust-green ten displayed in a dark hole. 
I've wandered a dozen Italian duomos, yet only driven past the church in Panama City, where mis bisabuelos married a century ago. If we could inter mis grandes tias y mi abuela, build cold lifelike statues of them next to the altar, they would be so perfect. Eight mujeres survived to adulthood, ordered crusades with the moral clarity of saints. To hear the bells of Nuestra Señora de las Mercedes, I search for my own mercy. Way to forgive me familia's trespasses, las días rica, novela dramas, careless cruelties, phone calls from New York to accuse young nieces of comportamiento indecente, or to lock up my mamá when she came home pregnant from college, give her baby away, siempre un secreto. This family possesses no alms for the poor or otherwise. No pity for those with poetry on our breath. So many calles y carreteras my great-grandfather engineer disappeared, but the canal stands defiant. Concrete monolith to the Frenchmen and Americans, our name nowhere to be found in their records, though we are three-quarter colonizer. See, I know how to bend my knee to history, though I refuse. Two, in Rome's forum, my husband stands at a broken rock pile, says we are now at the very center of the world. And I am again hell-bent to Agua Dulce, past blood-seeped cities of Spain, dirt paths of New Mexico to ravaged rainforest in Central America. All stolen, beaten down con Catholicism's chains and those bells, las campañas, carry on. Echo traced through my veins, coded conquistador tracery of shame leads through la mujer. My great grandfather would not marry ten children in to honor la memoria de mi abuela, who was one social strata above. What would I say to this man who mapped out the canal that did not pay his second eldest daughter enough to work when he was gone? So she left one night for New York to rebuild her daughter's future. I unbrick our legacy one year at a time. In this, I know to be patient, how to re-engineer the past until all roads turn back. This is Summer J. Hart, and I'm reading my poem, Salt for the Stain. In end days, eyes turn around, softened, mouth like fog on the window. The first tongue to catch the new language is a rotten egg, a stuck tongue, a boiled onion. There she goes, speaking Indian again. Wipe that tablecloth white, salt for the stain. Walk backwards out of the lake. Salt the leech, the wound, the husband, the son, holding a baby, blot the baby. Rewind days, bury the son, forget the hours between meals, forget the husband is buried. Latch the door, pick the lock on the door. Tooth on a string in a tooth-shaped locket, knotted by thirds, this curl in her pocket. Never forward, never back. 
ever forward, ever back. Hide the tooth in the hollow of a tree. Plant a yellow iris where the dog likes to dig. Press his tiny fingers into wax. Old words haunt these woods. Family tongues click like winter branches, like clothespins pinching shirts across a line. He walks above the water. Cast his shoes in brass. Pray, along with the TV. Names fall off her tongue like leaves, sun-bleached, water-stained, insect-carved, softly disintegrating. What distance is left between breaths? What words will call the men home? Telephone by Fatma Malik. One, years ago that one fall, when my mother returned from a months long sojourn of caring for my sister, who had to have open heart surgery, her light was dimmer, she was diminished. On her way home, she came to see me, so I got to soften the blow. Blue with fear that the shock would be too much, I called my father to prepare him. Two, then there was the time my mother got mad at my father and refused to take her medicine. Black with fear, he called me behind her back to intercede on his behalf. When I called her, nonchalant and pretending it was just a courtesy call, her voice shook, first with anger, then with mirth. Your father knows the magician's life lies locked in the bird. He called the bird. Three, there is a phone booth in Otsuchi, white, facing the ocean, and silent most days. But people come bearing their grief long distances, and blue-black with fear that it will not help make calls to their dead. The wind phone is connected to nothing, but still works. Men make more calls than women. They all come again and again. I want to call my father to say, like the others, don't worry, I am doing the best I can. I'm Lorraine Herring, and this is The Air Between Us. Daughter. My mother is living with another dying man. He is not my father, but I've known him longer than I knew my dad. He moved me home from college, moved me from apartment to apartment, moved me to the mountains. He is nothing like my dad, except he also loves my mother. They have traveled together, retired together, gone to high school reunions together. He is nothing like my dad, except he also loves my mother. And I have come to love him in a way, the man who is not my father, who loves my mother, who moved me from place to place, who tried his best not to stand in the shadow of my father's ghost. He is nothing like my dad, except he is also dying a slow death, a day-by-day -day death, a counting pills death, a sleeping in the stepdad chair death. I have become very good at navigating death. 
I lived with my dying father and my denying mother until no amount of denying could stop the dying, and I've done what daughters do with their wounds, turn them into a career. I've become the cliché, the therapist who's constantly trying to heal herself. Who am I kidding? I lick my wounds to keep them bleeding. Still, my mother is living with another dying man, and I am 200 miles away from her, and I can't be with her because of COVID-19. They are both high risk. I rely on her to tell me, over the phone because FaceTime is too complicated, what she's feeling, what is happening, how she is coping with another dying. She tells me what she's always told me. She is fine. They are fine. He fell again. His blood sugar was too low. He thinks he just drove the Mustang to Las Vegas. He thinks he does not need the walker. He thinks he is fine. She has convinced him. They are fine. I stare at the phone on my desk while we talk in the mornings before I log into work. She tells me she went swimming, that they are out of milk, that she's going to finally finish going through the boxes in the garage. And how is he today, I ask every conversation. The pause before the lie is the tell. But I step into the lie because I've done it before, because I'm trained in the danger of challenging the delusion, because I'm 200 miles away and I can't look at her, my own green eyes looking back and tell her, Mom, he is dying. The year before my father died, we went out driving. I had just gotten my license, and it was still exciting to drive the flat roads of Phoenix, going nowhere, fueled by the illusion of freedom. I want your mother to find someone else, he said, and I sped up faster than the speed limit because I had to push the rage out somewhere. I told her you will never know how incredible she is if she won't talk to you. She just wants you to have the happy childhood she didn't. I slammed on the brakes at the red light. My father didn't flinch. Make sure you keep some space around you on the road, sugar. Air will never hurt you. At home, 200 miles away from my mother and her dying husband, I sit on my patio and watch the ravens. I feed them bread crusts, oranges, crackers. They bring me twigs and aluminum can tops and occasionally a dead thing. I love them, my corvids, so I ask them to do what they do and go to the in-between and ask my dead father to help. Ask him to be where I cannot. They chatter and debate, then scatter. Ghost Dad My wife is facing the ocean again. The black water beneath her grabs her ankles and gnaws at her bones. Her white bathing cap glistens with salt. I'm behind her and I can reach but not touch. Not yet. When we went to Wrightsville Beach together in 1969, she wore the same white cap. We took our oldest, then only, daughter with us. She wore a red bathing suit and she clung to my shoulders and screamed when the waves came. She puts one hand on her hip, my wife, shields her eyes with her hand. The big wave is gathering. She can see the roiling of the sea surface, feel the tugging at her legs. The lifeguard changes the green flag to yellow. Be careful. Something's coming. She doesn't see the flag change, only the wave. She digs her toes into the sand, trusts the ocean to carry her. The horizon is a straight blue line. 
She loves the way the curve of the wave bisects the sky. I float behind her, buoyant on warm Atlantic water. When I was living, I couldn't handle the ocean well, my polio-eaten leg, my attacked heart. But now I bounce and hover over her shoulders, a sea breeze kiss against her neck. My wife has the same shape she had when I touched her. She has the same smile, though four of her teeth have been replaced. She has carried our life with her from house to house, each move consolidating boxes until she can't consolidate any more. Not because there's nothing left to let go of, but because there is too much. The weight of our boxes keeps her toes secure in the sand. The weight of our boxes keeps her from floating out to sea. Her cell phone password is our anniversary, 6464. The six is a wave. The four is a tree, rooted and tall. The wave swirls around the tree and the tree bends. The flag is yellow. I am just over the horizon, I whisper, but she can't hear me through the bathing cap. She can't see me in the already shimmering spray. I have always been just over the horizon. She takes a step and the water pulls her ankle and she stumbles. I reach for her, but I miss. I miss. Daughter. The man my mother married after my father died of a heart attack is dying of kidney failure. He can no longer flush away what he doesn't need. Toxins build beneath his skin, paint his eyes yellow, make him fall asleep mid-sentence. Let me help you with that, he says every time I visit, wanting to take my bag, wash my windshield, get me a drink. He shuffles in slippers. He pours gallons of sparkling water. He forgets what he asks. I'm fine, I say. You rest. He doesn't want to rest. He is always sleeping. He watches his wife in the backyard swimming pool. She dives under for what seems like too long, but he can't move fast enough to save her, so he turns over in his stepdad chair, pulls his blanket to his neck. His wife emerges at the other end of the pool, white bathing cap dripping chlorinated water down her cheeks. She pulls herself onto the decking, and he sees a shimmering prism in the water. She shakes off her limbs. I imagine these moments now, tossing my leftovers to the ravens. I've seen it, and now it's on repeat, because I am here, and they are there. There is too much air between my mother and me. My stepfather, swimming in his mind, weaves memories together into abstract art. His anger is brief bursts when he breaks through the surface and realizes the lie. He is not fine. Ghost Dad. My wife, I remember how you'd run to the sea, arms above your head, splashing into the surf until the white caps danced around you, and I thought I'd lost you, but you'd pop up just past the sandbar and smile and wave and dive again. You'd float, the swirl of salt and seaweed around your body, holding you when I could not reach daughter. When my dad died, my mother boxed up his clothes and gave them away. 
I thought she purged everything, but now that she's living in the last house she'll live in with the last husband she'll have, I see in her floor-to-ceiling stacked garage how many cartons of things have stayed. College yearbooks, golf balls my dad bought the week he died, a stuffed graduation doll, the cap stitched a silver 1958, and a wedding album with some candid shots of her and my father standing in the cemetery of the church where they married, the white tips of the tombstones bobbing in the sea of southern grass. There's also a cell phone passcode carried in her purse, kept on her nightstand, plugged into her car. A cell phone password stored in the clouds. She keeps an analog calendar on her counter and makes plans for the future. We are to take a trip together this spring. She has volunteering commitments. She is spending thousands of dollars to fix her teeth. COVID-19 has halted all of these. The yellow flag snaps in the wind and she squints at it and writes down another plan. Her husband, who is not my dad, is snoring in the stepdad chair. He's awake when she sleeps, asleep when she wakes. His gaudy Hawaiian shirts haven't been worn in months. He wears a Green Bay Packers sweatshirt and flannel pajama bottoms. He miscounts pills, which she recounts. He charts his blood pressure in childish handwriting. She keeps a list of his medications in her wallet, which is next to her cell phone passcode. She knows one day soon she will once again have to tell an intake nurse what medications her husband is on while he is being hooked up to tubes in another room. She will be prepared, just like she was with my father. He needs to go to the hospital now. He has likely had a series of strokes on top of the kidney failure. They tried Teladoc, but it was glitchy and he wouldn't enter the frame of the camera and he insisted he was fine and my mother was trying to get rid of him. The lies form a heart-shaped knot between them. She doesn't push it. She knows he's not fine, even if she won't say it, and she knows if she takes him to the hospital she can't go in with him. She can't hold his hand. She can't see him off. Instead, she'll be kept in the parking lot isolated in her car because the virus carried on the air could kill her. Ghost Dad If I squint, I can see my fingers in the sunbeams. I can stretch them far beyond my form now. I am corporeal and I am wind. I am salt and I am chlorine. I am your beloved and I have been waiting and the sea is churning and the clouds are gathering and the flag has shifted yellow to red. My wife steadies herself again in surf and sand and the seawater rises to her neck. Gulls chatter. A pelican, heavy, prehistoric, dives into the dark water and emerges, fishtail flapping in its beak. My wife can't see where the sea truly meets the sky, but I can now, and I promise, my wife, I promise, there is room. There is enough air now between us. Daughter my mother is two inches shorter than she was when my father died 33 years ago. I can see her scalp through her thinning hair. Her collarbone protrudes, her skeleton pushing against its clothes. She's sorting boxes on the last day I visit before the shutdown. 
Do you need anything, she asks, standing in a sea of cardboard. A rolling pin? A swiffer? A coat? I seem to have gathered too much. I'm fine, I say, as she burrows into ancient cardboard. Look at this. I haven't seen this in such a long time. It's a turquoise and green glass figure of indeterminate shape. What is it? I don't know. She holds the glass to the window, and the sun shoots turquoise spray across the room. But isn't it beautiful? Before I drive north to home, she gives me my dad's golf clubs, a heavy set of pings from 1983. I touch them now each morning when I get up, my fingerprint merging into his. Call me, she says, and her hands won't stop ringing. I catch them and squeeze. I've got you, I say, even though I am leaving, driving away through hundreds of miles of air. Ghost Dad Hold your breath, my wife, when you dive into the wave, the wave so big it topples buildings, the wave so big it cleans out garages, the wave so big it shatters bones. Hold your breath, keep your cap on tight so the sea won't clog your ears. Go under, under, under to where it's smooth and still and the fishes brush against your skin, the air in your lungs a buoy. Beneath the waves, the crashing sounds like chanting. The vibrations in the water remind you of being in the cradle, rocking, rocking, rocking you to sleep. When you dive into the wave, my wife, inhale deep so I have time. I only need a breath or two, but you can't watch yet, you can't see. But when you go under, plant your feet, your still living feet, and let the water baptize you, let the water wash us away, wash us away. When you go under, hold your breath, open up your hands, and I will catch him. Look, my wife, the flag flaps green. Close your eyes, dive deep, and I will meet your husband, and I will take him to the edge of sky and sea, and when you emerge, we will see your white cap bobbing in the blue, and he and I will see you safe to shore. We will blow you saltwater kisses that will dot your cheeks. Open up your hands, my wife. The air is calm. I will not miss you.